Welcome to the Cracked Pots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And we have been gone for a very, very long time. And missed you all terribly. Yes. Um, COVID kind of, I think, just zapped us of, of everything. But um, we're, we're going to have our weekly podcast take on a slightly different topic. Uh, I guess, format than what it has been in the past before. It's just kind of we picked a topic. And now what we've decided to do is we are going to take the actual text from the previous weekend that was preached on, and we're going to expand on it a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit um, more about that particular text. And that way you know, sort of a, a kind of a in more in-depth Bible study, because a lot of times there's so much within these texts that we are not able to talk about. The reality is if, like, we could expand worship, I know that's, I know that's uh, a mortal sin to say that worship's going to be longer than an hour. If we were able to expand worship, we could preach longer and cover more of this stuff um, and not have to do a podcast, but here we are uh, all set to do a podcast because... Uh, you know, worship is an hour and only an hour, and you go over an hour and... And, and I think they were very grateful that I, I decided... Yeah, I think they, they were very grateful I decided not to, like, explore all the, the things that were going on in the text for this week, because our text for this week was from Second Samuel, um, chapter 21, and involved the woman, or she was a concubine of Saul's, named Rizpah. Not a name you hear very often these Not days. very often, and it's probably not a story most people are very familiar with. Um, I don't know how many people really delve into Second uh, Samuel and, and, and all of that. Not unless you have to. Yeah. So basically this, this story, uh, if you listen to the sermon, this story is about um, Rizpah, who is this, this former concubine of King, King Saul's, who preceded King David. And Saul is now dead. And there, of course, was a power struggle going on, shockingly. Go figure. Go figure when, when two powerful men want to uh, be king. There's a power, power struggle. And so the power struggle was between Ishbaal, who uh, is the, the son of Saul. Again, not a common name. Yep, yep. And King David. And basically what happened was, as the heir to Saul, obviously Ishbal had a claim to the throne, except the tribe of Judah really, really wanted David to be the king, so they kind of got behind him. And the turning point in this uh, little, little war is when Abner, who is Saul's cousin, defects and joins King David. So why would he turn on his family? Well, the reason he turns on his family is because he had taken one of Saul's concubines, Rizpah. And now you got to realize in this day and age that, you know, women didn't have a whole lot of say. So That's a generous statement. Yes. They, didn't have a whole, they basically had no say. They had no say in, in what happened to them. And so, you know, most likely... This cousin, Abner, probably raped her, took her. This, of course, Ishbaal finds out about, gets really, really mad, because in that day and age, when you took the concubine of the former king, you were laying claim to the throne. Right. Saying, well, I took his concubine, so I now have a claim. Because concubines and thrones, I mean, exact same thing. Right? Well, it really is very Game of Thrones-ish, actually, yes. everything that's going on. Um, for those who watched uh, Game of Thrones back we in neither the day. Con we neither condemn nor condone the watching, watching of Game of Thrones. Yes, yes. We just... But it's a really good show. Both of us just happen to know about it. Um, <laughs> for, for some strange reason, we both kind of know what that, that whole show was about. So this, of course, makes Ishbal really mad. And so Abner defects and joins King David. And so this becomes then the impetus for which uh, the war changes and it turns the tide in such a way that David wins. And so what's going on in the story that we have for today, of course, is that the problem is 
there's a blood guilt that is causing a famine. Because when King Saul was king, he decided to go after this group of people who are called the Gibeonites, who are descendants of the Amorites that Joshua was supposed to wipe out when they came into the promised land. He opted not to because they tricked him. They tricked him into uh, signing a treaty with him. Um, Explained all this in the sermon. And so they were supposed to be under the protection of Israel, no matter who the king was. Do you remember a few years ago when they had, it might have been the History Channel, did this, the, the Bible? Mm-hmm. You told the story yes, of the Bible. Yes, I was it the that. History Channel? Mm-hmm. And I was serving the congregation in Gainesville at the time, and I remember people watching it and coming into my office and saying, Well, it's good, but it's just so violent. That it was. And I went, uh, That's the Bible. <laughs> so is the Bible. <laughs> yeah. and we, don't, we don't often think about that, right? We kind of gloss over you know, all the salacious stuff in the Bible. Um, you know, we don't. We kind of ignore Bathsheba. You know, we ignore the story of Rizpah, um, and largely speaking, we ignore a lot of the war stuff um, in Scripture too, because it. I guess it makes us uncomfortable. Yeah. And, and this gets really. This story gets really bad. Right, I which mean, is why I went on vacation. Yeah, yeah, I know. Thank you. I appreciated that a lot. Uh, <clears throat> note the sarcasm. Anyway, <laughs> leaving me my... I just came back from sabbatical, and this was the text I had to preach on coming back. Thank you very much. Back in the saddle. Yes, yes, right back into it. Uh, so anyway, so the Gibeonites were supposed to have been protected. Saul decided that he, in his zeal for, you know, uniting uh, both the northern kingdoms of Israel and, and Judah and all the tribes and getting them all to become one kingdom. He was attempting to do that, and he decided he was going to kill off the Gibeonites. And so there is now a blood guilt um, on Israel for having done that. And God says, there's a famine, and until you make this right, this famine's going to continue. And so David makes this very fumbled attempt at trying to figure out how, how can I make this right. So he goes to the Gibeonites, and they want revenge. And my sermon's all kind of about um, how how vengeance really isn't the way to go, <laughs> necessarily, because that's actually what the, the the revenge that the Gibeonites want are these are seven of Saul's sons to be impaled on a mountain. That's a really cheery text. It is. It's a lovely text, and of course, two of those sons happen to be Rizpahs. So, um, and she gets basically uh, a little upset that her sons are being hung up on display and impaled on this mountain, and that they're left there for months on end to serve basically as some kind of a, a warning to, to others and, and, and made an example of. So she spends five months in the heat of summer fighting off all of the wild animals and stuff and and because she wants just a decent burial for her sons. So, as, as, as we're talking about this, and I'm, and I'm kind of reflecting as we go, if I ask you, not necessarily you, Pastor Rebecca, you the reader, or you, you the listener, and say, name a king that we kind of lift up and celebrate. I think most people, biblically speaking, are going to say King David, right? Of course they are. Well, King David, well, King David. Well, I don't know that this is necessarily uh, model behavior from King David. Um, so as someone was leaving worship this weekend, they go, King David was really bad. <laughs> right. So we have this text, you know, I don't know what it was, a few years ago, I had the text to preach on uh, David and Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Again, David not exactly uh, winning any prizes for gentlemanly kingship. Um, and that's who we we lift up and, and really sell. It's like, that's distur- it should be disturbing. And again, maybe it's to highlight that... Um, you know, we all got our issues. And that's actually the response that I gave to the individual who, who was saying, you know, you know, 
David was really a bad dude. <laughs> I said, yeah, he was. I said, but here's the thing. If God forgives David, right. guess what? Well, and I, I've used this too with the disciples. The disciples yeah. were, um, uh, they had their issues. Mm-hmm. Um, not just, most of you know by now my disdain for Peter. Um, but all of the, all of the disciples, you know, the, he wasn't pulling uh, you know, the creme de la creme of society and saying, hey, follow me because it'll look good. If you uh, upstanding individuals follow me, I mean, he took a sort of dysfunctional bunch of people as his disciples. Um, and again, he used this, to use the same analogy you just did with King David, those are the people Jesus picked to carry on and carry out his ministry. Yeah. But I think also recognizing the story really isn't about David. Stories about Rizpah. The, the story is about. It can't be about her, a woman because it's the Bible. It's well, got to be about a man, right? I know, I know, I get that. Sorry, but <laughs> relax, ladies, relax. <laughs> but I mean, this the story is about Rizpah, and the story is about her, her, basically trying to get some semblance of justice. Right, and and just as a reminder to those who who don't who know any reminded or don't know. This is part of a sermon series that we're embarking on, um, and the title of the sermon series is called Unraveled. Um, so we're kind of finding you know, this story in the midst of a, a continuation of, of Scripture along the theme of unraveled. Yeah, so. and this is about basically public unraveling yeah. in, in, in the, and, and how lives fall apart and that kind of stuff in the, in the very public, public kind of way. And so the question I gave to people as they were leaving was that, you know, because we have this little project that we're doing where they write a word or a sentence or a prayer or whatever on their, this little piece of fabric. And then we take the fabric and then we each week weave uh, the, the, the stuff into it that at the end, then we'll have this loom throughout the entire series. Right. That, is put together of all these fabrics with all these words and prayers and, and that kind of stuff on there. And so the question that I gave them was, you know, what form, you know, what, what kind of public grief have you seen that has moved you to want to take some kind of action, you know, towards justice? You've seen something, whether it was on TV or something that you personally were involved in, whatever it was, that you said, this is just wrong. And I want to help. I want to do something to fix this and change it. But I think for me, the thing with the story of Rispa is I look at how powerless she was in all this entire situation. She has no control over anything that's going on here. She has no control to save her sons. She has no control over what happens to her with Abner. She probably didn't have any control of actually even being one of Saul's concubines from the get-go. And and I find it very interesting that, that so much of of how David became king kind of revolves around good old Rispa. Uh, you know, she's sort of this, this passive character, and yet in this story, she goes from being a passive character to saying, I know I have no power, but I'm going to use what little bit of a voice I have yeah. to try and make someone hear me. And... So she kind of, basically she stages a protest. This is her, her form of one, one person protest. Right, and this is where, for me, this is where this story and current events collide in epic proportion. Yes. Like epic. So I, again, confession was not, I was driving most of Sunday, so out of worship, off yesterday with my recovery day from vacation back today, so did not hear the sermon. Um, what? That, okay. I know, I know. Be All right, fair. Be, be offended. Um, I won't ask how many you you uh, paid attention to during sabbatical. Um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Notice the silence. Um, so, so for me, you know, hearing this story and reflecting on it and this idea, this concept of, you know, public grief and public lament and public hurt in very, in very real ways, um, how does that, you know, how does that affect us? 
And we have so many examples um, in our world today where, where a tragedy happens and something is generated out of that. There's this hopelessness and out of the hopelessness, you find a way or people often find a way. And I would say that God finds a way to guide people in something to make a difference. Um, you know, and, and some of these instances are, are small and some of them are, are global. Um, so let's go um, with something that is easier for us to swallow in the year 2021, July of 2021. Um, so we read a book during Lent, The Book of Forgiving by Desmond Tutu. Mm -hmm. And there's a story in that book, a very poignant story and tear, tear jerk, most things are tear jerking for me, a very tear jerking story of um, a family who lost their daughter to a drunk driver. And the story details the lady going, the, the person who, who was the drunk driver going to prison, being released from prison and developing a relationship with the mom and the dad of this daughter and then creating um, a nonprofit and going to schools to educate people about not drinking and driving. Hugely, hugely, hugely public lament, awful situation. And out of that, out of that lament, how can we, how can we help affect change in the world? For, for me, that is where scripture, um, scripture is not historical for me. Um, yeah, there's history to it, and knowing the history part of it is 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 helpful. Um, well, in order to understand this story, you need to know the correct the full story. Correct. Yeah. And but for me, it's always where does this piece of scripture intersect and or collide with the world? I call it the so what factor. Yeah, right, exactly, exactly. And for me, this, this story just nails it um, in, a, in a very, very real and tangible way. So while we were on vacation, actually, that's not true. While we, were, we went to the Outer Banks. So while we were driving to the Outer Banks, um, Christine and I listened to an audio book called How, How to Talk to Strangers. Uh, no, it's called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. And I rec we, my wife and I recommend the audiobook. And I've never done audiobooks. It's not really my thing. But this one is very good because he narrates really well, but he also brings in other resources as part of the audiobooks. He does other interviews. And one of the he, – he kind of highlights a couple different stories. One of them was a Sandra Bland case. Sandra Bland was the black woman who was arrested um, for not signaling lane change. After hearing that story, I made sure I signaled lane changes every time we changed lanes on the trip. Um, eventually, she ends up thrown in prison. And he goes through, um, she actually goes to, goes to jail and then uh, supposedly committed suicide while in prison. Um, there seems to be some some debate as to whether or not that's how she died, but that's not the point of the book or the point of this podcast. Um, and the other, another story it talks about is that Brock Turner, which is a Stanford swimmer, um, basically raped the unconsciously drunk girl. And, and there's another case um, about the FBI and Cuba and the a a CIA, not FBI, a CIA agent who was a double agent and, and figuring her out. The, the part of the book that, that's really interesting to me is this is the is we don't always engage on the right level and we we sort of make assumptions about things without knowing the whole story and in, in this case it's kind of the same thing like we kind of draw King, oh well David's a David's it's King David yay King David there's a lot of darkness in this story mm -hmm. um, you know out of this you know Circling back to this 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 audiobook, um, there's been a lot of conversation um, about alcohol on campus um, and drinking on campus. In fact, one of my my wife's dissertation was on uh, long it's a long dissertation. Um, but well, it's called a dissertation, right? But um, <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> ha ha. Um, on alcohol and 
rape culture on college campuses, which newsflash, it's atrocious. Um, and we don't, we, we just don't often engage and meet people where they are and we, we fill in the blank with assumptions and we bring baggage into, into events and bring baggage into texts and it, it's, it, make, it makes it difficult. Yeah. Well, and, and that's one of the things we always do with the text is we always bring our own experiences into it uh, and, and are able to, in some way, you know, how do we see ourselves in this text? Who do we identify with? And, and, and all of that. Right. So it's really hard for me to identify as a concubine. Right? But... Fair point. Right. But if you, if you take those labels out of it and you go, okay, so what has anything happened in my life that has been painful or difficult or challenging and how did I respond to it? Or how can we respond to it? Or how should we respond to it? I think that's where, that's where I like to try and go you know, when, I'm, when I'm digging into a text, um, especially one like this. You go, okay, so I really have a hard time identifying with this. On I so, don't. On so many levels. <laughs> Strangely enough. Well, right, which is one of the reasons I'm like, I am not touching this text. Um, Let Pastor Rebecca do it. Right. Um, no, but I mean, that's fair because as a woman... No, I have not been a concubine. Um, no, I have not had my sons killed. But I do know what it feels like to feel helpless in the face of uh, power in terms of not having your voice heard, not having, you know, not knowing how, to, how, do I, how do I deal with this situation when I know I have no control over anything that's going on. And so I identified with that, not necessarily the same circumstances, obviously, um, but just the general feeling of there's, there's so much going on that, that other pe powerful people are doing things that affect my life in a very real way. And, and how, how to, to navigate that and how, how do you get your voice heard? And in this case, it was just being, it kind of reminds me of the story of the persistent widow in uh, the Gospels where, you know, she keeps going after the judge or, you know, whatever. It's just, she's persistent over and over and over again, pleading her case, pleading her case until finally it's like they turn around and are like, what do you want? Okay. And, and, and that's kind of the, the, this is, this is the mode of the powerless of what can the powerless do? Well, we know we can't, we can't rebel in, in a violent way, we know we'll get squashed, and that's not really the way to go anyway. But, you know, that's because clearly the whole vengeance thing wasn't what worked because the famine did not end when these guys got impaled. Yeah, right. it, it, right. that isn't what, that wasn't what God was looking for here. Revenge, revenge let's be honest, really doesn't move no. the needle. It just perpetuates the mess. Yeah. Like, in, ev in every situation, like, we have this human tendency for revenge, right? That whole, you know eye for an eye. We're way more eye for an eye than we are turning the other cheek. I mean, let's just be honest. Because we think that eye for an eye thing feels good, right? You hit me, I'm going to hit you harder. Okay, great. You know, we were in the pool on vacation, and not really my brother-in-law, because they're not married, but they should be. They, they, I mean, they've been together so long, whatever. And, you know, the kids are splashing. Your boyfriend-in-law. Yeah, boyfriend-in-law. <laughs> yes, my boyfriend-in-law. Um, that sounds really weird. That does sound um, weird. Let's not go with that term. <laughs> Whatever. So this dude, um, the kids are like splashing and he like splashes back. I splash, you splash, I splash. Yeah. And again, not something at all that, again, it's harmless here in a pool, but that is our tendency, right? Like you do it to me, I'm going to do it to you. You do it to me, I'm going to do it to you. Yeah, just oh, keeps building. Let's just impale people. That'll, that'll solve all the problems of the world if we just start impaling people and leaving their impaled bodies for display. So, hey, let's do that. So the vengeance thing also got me thinking about um, the current sort of situation going on in Israel, Israel and Palestine. Oof. And I was looking at this, and not, you know, not to bring up that fun topic, but I was looking at it and it made me think about the fact that here are these Gibeonites that are not Israelites, but they live within Israel. And how God is very concerned about their welfare. 
even though they aren't Israel. And what Israel does to them matters. And it also, you know, and obviously vengeance on the part of the Gibeonites was not what God was wanting either. So there's that, when we, we, we look at this, this cycle of violence that goes on, you know, over there as well, and you get people picking sides and saying, well, Israel's right and Palestine's wrong, or well, if you're part of the oppressed Palestinians, of course you're going to fight blah, 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 blah. And it's like, the point is, the cycle of violence somehow needs to come to an end. Yeah, so there's, there's, I don't know if you see, there's a thing going around on Facebook right now, um, and it's, it's, it's a recycled thing on Facebook, I've seen it, saw it before, but it seems to be popular again. You have red ants in a jar, you have black ants in a jar, and the ants get along fine, and so you shake up the jar, and then the ants kill each other. Mm -hmm. As if to say that, um, the analogy is that humanity gets along fine until the media shakes up the jar, and then it's not fine. Well, that would be nice if it were actually true, but we make, we're good at shaking the jar ourselves yeah. in whatever fashion that is. Um, I mean, the media is an easy scapegoat right now. Um, and maybe some of that's valid. Actually, some of that is valid. Some of it's very valid, but, but you got to realize th these tensions predate the, the way correct. in which global media has, correct. has taken over. Correct. Um, you know, and... There's more issues than just... Yeah, there's more issues than just the media playing yeah. into it. Correct. And... and you know, this it, it's not, it's a complicated situation that doesn't have clear-cut answers, and so we're not here to tell you, you know, be on this side, be on that side, but we are here to say it is complicated, and when you do, you know, want to, you know, be like, well, this side, God's on this side. I'll definitively and say that what's not complicated is revenge sucks and nobody wins. Exactly. I'll make that definitive statement. Yes, yes, Absolutely. And, and that goes on, on both sides, that that's just not yep. going to work. And what I found, like I said, what I found interesting about this story, though, was God took the side of the Gibeonites from the standpoint of, he said, look, I'm not going to even listen to the supplications of the Israelites until you listen to what's going on. First of all, David needed to listen to two different groups. He needed to listen to the Gibeonites, but he also needed to listen to Rizpah. And he fumbles the Gibeonite one by just going, okay, they want this, fine, I'll do it. And, and gives into the revenge part and kills people, which causes more harm, more pain, more sorrow. Death causes more pain, more sorrow? What? Yes. Yeah. Which clearly was not what God apparently was after because the famine does not end. And the only way that the famine ends and that God begins to listen again is when David listens, when David listens to Rizpah um, and hears her cry, hears her going, no, there's a problem. So let's, let's take it to the reality that a lot of things in our world, if we would just stop and listen and start listening instead of getting defensive, Right. Instead of immediately going into our corner and being like, nope, this is my stance. This is what I believe, blah, blah, blah. And if, and if, and if we listen and accept that not all of our realities and not all of our experiences are the same, um, we're able to hear things differently. So um, we've had, you and I have had multiple, conver numerous conversations about um, being a female in ministry. I have no clue what it's like to be a female <laughs> in ministry. I don't have that, um, uh, I don't have that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And to I, be fair, I don't know what it's like to be a male in ministry. I'm like, I, I, I don't know what it's, what it's like to right. have certain. But it's not okay for me to say, well, that's not, that's not how it is. I don't know. I can say, oh, I understand it to be this way to have a conversation about it, but it's not right for me to make a definitive statement to say, well, that's not what it's like to be a female in ministry. The reality is I don't know. I can listen. I can pass along um, things that I've heard from other women in ministry 
and here's a newsflash, like a lot of the, a lot of what you hear when you listen, it's pretty similar, which leads one to believe that just maybe if like a bunch of women in ministry, for instance, say, this is what it's like, that's probably what it's like. Now, that does not mean that every woman in ministry has the exact same experience. No, or that every woman in ministry has, has had, you know, the, the same level. Right. Of it. Exactly. Uh, and North Carolina Synod didn't it did a really disgusting video, disgusting because it was true. And they right. had it was a wonderful video, but it was right. disgusting right. from the standpoint of really this is what happens. Yeah. And of course they, every they, woman went, yeah. yeah, this is they basically had male clergy read things that have been said to female clergy, for those who don't know, um, who have had things said to female clergy and it, as as a male, again, I'm not shocked because I heard it from my female colleagues before, but it was it was just telling um, in the male clergy reading what was said to the female the disbelief. Like I cannot believe that someone has said that, but they did. Yeah. It's it's so, again I don't know what it's like, and, and same thing can be said for for gender, for race, for sexuality for religion, you know, whatever the case may be, profession, you know, well, I don't know what it's, I don't know what it's like to be a lawyer, never been a lawyer, I don't know what it's like to be a police officer, I can listen, I can read, I can educate myself, I can have conversations, and I can listen. Listen. And, and listening is, is the, you know, it, it's the start, it's, it's, it's the, and, and you don't have, obviously, you, you will not have any kind of change until people start listening. And, and that's kind of what goes on here, is she spends five months of nobody listening to her yeah. just to get her sons buried. That's, that's all she wants. I want my sons buried. And so she spends five months, and it takes five months, which, you know, in the grand scheme of the world, obviously, is not a long time. But in the grand scheme of when it's super hot and you're around dead bodies, <laughs> I mean, let's get... <laughs> this it is doesn't gross. smell like a bed of roses. It is not. It, it, I mean, this was this was dedication, and you know, just the 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 um, amount of of grief and and pain that this woman had to have been that that pushed her to continue to do and this. just mad and just mad at the I mean, whole situation, like yeah. in general, just mad at the world. Yeah. And so I, I'm gonna. I I wasn't planning on. I didn't have an agenda. But I mean, you know, so we've been living through this Black Lives Matter thing, right? Which is hugely controversial. And this is the part where people are pushing and click and deleting and not listening anymore because they said Black Lives Matter. You know, that whole movement, and I'm not talking about um, the nonprofit group. group and where the money goes. I'm talking about the words Black Lives and Matter. Um, all that movement, all those words are, is a plea to make Black Lives Matter also. Again, it really should be Black Lives Matter too, as in T-O-O also. Mm -hmm. And we struggle with that, right? Because we make it something that it's not. Oh, well, all lives matter. Well, yeah, no kidding. All lives are supposed to matter. But when that's not a reality in the way things are lived out, then we highlight. And then we go, oh, well, blue lives matter. Well, of course, of course, police. first of all, police aren't blue, but whatever. Um, yes, of course, police policemen's police men and women's lives matter, absolutely. But there's that really hasn't been a debate, right? I mean, until this whole thing has started, I haven't. There wasn't this big push to say that oh well, no police officers are, are disrespected, like that hasn't been a thing. So again, it's I'm gonna again state the obvious. I am neither a female, nor am I black. Right. I don't know what it's like to be black any more than I know what it's like to be to be a female. Probably know less what it's like to be black than a female, but whatever. Um, but I can listen. I can I can listen to, um, you know, our our colleagues of color. I can listen to you know friends of color. I can read. I can you know I can pick so, up resources, and and try to learn what it's like, and and then understand and then. You know, maybe you get, you get, you know, to this RISPOP part where you're, where it's not my experience, but people are willing to come alongside RISPOP and say, you know what, that ain't cool. 
that ain't cool that you're that that y'all were you were hanging out with your stinky, you know, rotting carcass kids on a post for public display. I don't want that to ever happen again. And let's get back for a minute to that whole David the Terrible King kind of thing, you know. <laughs> but here was the here's the one thing that was always David's redeeming quality. His ability to listen to criticism. Yeah. That was the one thing that always redeemed David. That's a, you know what? I don't know that I ever made that connection. But yeah. It was his ability yes. for somebody to put in front of him, here's what you've done. Yeah. And for him to go, you're that right, that was wrong. Yeah. And I should not have done that. And he repents and he, he, he accepts what happens. He, he, he doesn't, you know, and that, and that becomes one of the things too is he kind of accepts the punishment that comes his way as a result of, um, he doesn't have to like it, <laughs> obviously, and right. he mourns and whatever because a lot of things that he does results in people dying. Um, and a lot of times it's his family members dying as a result of, of things he's done. Um, you know, his child dies. Uh, with, with the the incident with Bathsheba, you know, it's yeah. that that was one of the kind of the results, and he, he accepted that 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 was, and of course then Absalom dies, you know, because he set this example. Um, Amnon dies. I, I mean, you know, he has his kids all die because he's done things, and again, it's a justice issue, where and I I mentioned this in the sermon, but kind of a similar thing where Tamar gets raped. There is no justice for her. Right. No justice for her. And so revenge is what winds up being the thing that gets played out where the... Uh, sort of the no justice, no peace. Yeah. And the, the, the vengeance of the brother who is like, some kind of justice has to happen for my sister. He kills his brother, the one who raped Tamar. And then tries to overthrow David on the throne <laughs> and, and gets killed in that process. Um, not by David, by the way. Right. David wanted nothing to happen to his son. And he, was, he, would, he would not order his son killed. He was like, no, I don't, you know, even though he's rebelling against me, he's trying to take over my throne, he is my son, do not kill him. So that, that's kind of the, the, the weird thing with, with David is that, yeah, he does some really awful things. And at the same time, he has this odd ability to both love unconditionally. He never wanted Saul harmed. He got really mad when um, he found out Saul had died and he grieved and whatever. And he had an opportunity to kill Saul and didn't do it. Yep. Uh, and so, I mean, there, there are those moments. And there's, there's a lot of those moments. Well, and that's, I mean, isn't that kind of a microcosm of all of us? Yeah. Like, you can't look at somebody and say somebody is 100% bad or 100% good. Like, those, those people that are 100% in either direction are rare. You know, we're all somewhere in the middle. You know, so the Lutheran thing is simultaneously saint, sinner and saint. Mm -hmm. You're 100% sinner, you're 100% saint. Whatever, that's 200%, whatever. Um, <laughs> not great you're at both math. and. Not great at math, but yeah, you're it's both a both and. and. You know, and I think we're all like that, right? Like, you know, there's not anybody, as much as we all want to think, okay, I'm perfect. And I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I'm perfect. I have my life together. It's all good. Well, the reality is, that's, I'm not always the parent I want to be. I'm not always the husband I want to be. I'm not always the child I want to be. I'm not always the pastor I want to be. I got good days. I got bad days. Well, and, and the other issue is, you know, we sit there and, and, yeah, David did some terrible things and blah, blah, blah. The reality also is is that most of us are never in the positions that these people are because they are in such positions of power yeah. of, uh, over life and death yeah. for so many people yeah. that, I mean, I hate, you know, quote Spider-Man movies, you know, <laughs> with great power comes great responsibility kind of thing. <laughs> Easy, Uncle, was that Uncle There's ben? actually a biblical, that, that, that's actually a biblical point, though, because... Yeah. Um, uh, to, to whom much has been given, much is Uncle, required. Uncle Ben, the great theologian. Yes, yes. It was Uncle Ben, right? Yes, yeah. it was. Um, and so it, 
but but there there is that reality of the more power you have, the more you are able to inflict both pain and justice. So you you have a way in which you can go, and and David didn't always make the right choice. Right. Okay, David many times inflicted pain rather than going down the the route of what was just and what was right. But again, he was able to listen when Nathan came to him and said, "You're the man who did this." He was like, "Oh wow," and and in this case, he hears Rispa. He he. You know, it takes him a while. It takes him five months to finally pay attention to what she's doing. Men can be a little, little stubborn sometimes. Yeah, just you know, a little thick sometimes. But eventually, it, it gets his attention. And I, you know, I found it very interesting too when, when some of the the George Floyd protests and stuff were going on. I remember having a conversation with someone in my family who, you know, said, "Okay, they got our attention. They can stop now." Yeah, I heard that too. And I kind of went, well, the whole point was to get our attention so that we would do something. Right. That, not, so, that, so that there would be a change, so that something would happen, not to just go, oh, okay, we see, there's a problem, and then go back. David had to take action. David had to do something to... Right. So, so the first and last step is not listening. Correct. Listening is the first step. Right. Yes. Because if you just listen and nothing changes, then yes, the next thing was yeah. moves you to action. Correct. And and making some kind of action, which obviously he can't bring the lives of those those sons back. Correct. That's that's impossible. Can't do that. What can you do? So it's like no, we can't go back in time and you know undo the wrong. But how do we move forward in a way? that is just and gives dignity. And is life-giving as and, opposed to... Right, as opposed to continuing right. the cycles and right. continuing these kinds of patterns. And, you know, that's, that's the, the whole point, is protests among people who are powerless, this is their way of getting attention. This is their way of making people who are in power and have the ability to make changes make the changes. And, and I think you hit, you hit like the, the four-letter word that's not a four-letter word, change, right? Because yep. it means we have to do things differently. We have to be different. We have to see the world differently. And it's scary. And it is scary. It is hard. And you know, so I, 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 I like to say I don't struggle with that, but I mean, if I'm being honest, I do. Of course you do. Like, Things are things are different. Um, you know, I remember. I remember we talked about this at lunch. Um, the the Olympic the female Olympic sprinter um, who got disqualified from the Olympics because she used marijuana. Um, mm -hmm. I remember. I remember growing up, um, and even fairly recently, you know, taking that hard line. You know, marijuana is it's bad. It's a gateway drug. It's this. It's this. It's blah 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 blah. And, you know, since then, I've started to listen a little more. I've started to read a little more. I've started to understand a little more. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't have that hard line anymore that's like, no, this is absolutely what... Now, again, in this case, it was a banned substance. You know, shouldn't, shouldn't have used it as part of whatever, not performance enhancing. But, you know, if you know it's on a banned list, then, um, you know, same thing. I, I love baseball. So same thing with steroids in baseball. Well, you know what? You weren't taking, you know, hardcore steroids, but you were taking supplements that had substances in it that were banned. Well, you know what? You, you, you have all the resources and the ability to know that was not the right thing to do. You shouldn't have done it. You pay the consequences. Right. I agree with you. That's fine. However, you know, what do we do about it? You know, does that, does an event, so again, a pretty tame event, does this, does this, um, Olympic sprinter uh, using marijuana as a as a coping mechanism for her for her mom passing away, which I believe is the story. Um, does that become a, a national conversation, a worldwide conversation that says, "Hey, you know what? We believe that marijuana should be a banned substance for Olympic athletes." You hear this from the NFL players a lot too. You know what? I use marijuana because it helps with. Pain. You know, the pain of, <laughs> of taking a beating 
that we enjoy for, you know, every, not everybody, you know, we watch it and want to enjoy that on Sunday or, we, or Saturday or Sunday while we watch football and then ignore the fact that they're really Beat oh, up. beating the beating the stuff out of them, the stuff out of their bodies. And, and <laughs> You're need, welcome. Right, thank you. Struggling there, um, still a vacation. <laughs> um, you know, trying to find a way to cope with with the pain and and trauma your body undergoes when you know people collide that hard and that often. Um, you know, does this facilitate a conversation that says, okay, you know, maybe we need to reevaluate this? I listened. I heard. You reevaluate it. Either something changes or it doesn't. But you know, change isn't bad. Like change in itself isn't bad. If you think about it, um, when you stop changing, you stop changing because you're dead. And even then, you keep changing because you just start Decay. decomposing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole other story, a little more grim. But <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Um, whether you're impaled or not, y'all are going to decay. Um, we're all going to decay. Not just you all, me too. Um, but it, you know, this idea that change, again, it's, it's not always comfortable. But change isn't necessarily a bad thing. You know, we, we, we sort of, you know, celebrate this idea of um, evolution. You know, we've evolved. We've evolved. You know, we have wheel now. We have the wheel. We have fire. We have, <laughs> we, we, we have the wheel and we have fire. Right. Man. Wow. Life is great. We can wheel things now. We don't have to carry everything. Oh, wow. Like, we can heat with fire. Oh, look. Like, we have these things called light bulbs that when you flick a switch, now I can see it. I don't need candlelight anymore. And I don't have to go uphill in Bo the snow both, both ways, ways to school. go get water. You can, yeah, right. Or to school. <laughs> and you can take a school bus and you can turn your tap and you have water. Like, Barefoot. we don't complain about those changes, right? Like, oh, wow, I took a shower this morning and it was hot. I'm not complaining about that. But there's other things that change that are less comfortable for us because they don't necessarily they inconvenience us. Right, exactly. Or or it doesn't it doesn't necessarily affect. I don't think it affects me. Now here's the thing: like what happens to one happens to all, and we're all affected by it in one way or another. We're all right. Connected. So again, um, COVID. There's this there's this debate going on about not just vaccines but worldwide vaccines. Mm -hmm. We have countries saying, well, well. Let them deal with that in their own country. Well, we're kind of a global society. So this idea that we can corner off a part of the world that says, well, if you have a disease, you know, malaria, whatever. Not our problem. Um, it's not our problem. It well, is guess, our problem. Guess what? It is our problem. Like, we're, we're kind of global here. Um, I, you know, we're, we're all connected in this idea that change, and if, if change helps benefit others, that's not it's not a bad thing i mean you know me getting having getting someone else access to clean drinking water that's a change that's a really good change yeah and and you know looking back there are a lot of things that have have changed that we have probably pushed back against at the time mm -hmm. that now we just take for granted as being women can't vote we can't give those women voting rights and you know the 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 weird part about that is when you really think about it, we've only had that right for a hundred years, and that's not that's scary. Like that is mind blowingly, unfathomably scary. Well, the civil rights movement was what the sixties. Well, not only the civil rights movement, but there are there there are people. There's still who, parts of the world where women can't vote. Yeah, well, and, and let's, ah! let's even go a little further back to Civil War, and that's not as far removed as we'd like to think it is. Um, I know somebody who was um, telling us about his grandfather actually remembers the Civil War, and it's like, holy cow, but it was one of those things where he became a father at the age of like 70-something, so it, 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 you know, it's kind of rare that you're going to have somebody who was who knows somebody who it's, was alive during the Civil it's, War. It's not that. But it's not that far. The removed. point being is, it's not that far gone. It's it's not that this was ancient ancient history. It's yeah. like no, this is real in, in in the global kind of time, especially if you're looking at let's say biblical time. Um, you know, it was not that long ago. Yeah. It was just not that long ago. And, you know, we're still trying to figure things out and we're still having the repercussions and we're still dealing with We still with have people flying a Confederate flag. Let's just 
call a spade a spade. I mean, I don't want to go there, but I mean, yeah, it wasn't that long ago, and yet we're still. But we're coming up on um, our time. Yeah. So we're going to wrap this up uh, and and say this is kind of. Uh, this is what we don't do during a sermon, which is we get really <laughs> much more in-depth into to how these stories really do apply in our lives. Um, you know, as a ser sermon, we pick one thing usually to try to drive home. Yeah. Uh, and the point of this podcast is to kind of bring things, you know, look, there's a lot of nuances to this. Here's a text. text. Here's some interesting portions of the text yeah. that we may not have gotten into. Yep. Here's and we could probably talk longer, but we're not going to. Um, and so we invite you, though, to join us again next week. Next week will be the Exodus text and Pharaoh um, hardening his heart. So I think Pastor Chad's going to be preaching on that. And yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And so join us for, for that as we reflect on that particular text. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. Bye, everybody. Thank you.